Canucks Central Tuesday. It's Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah. We're in the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. This hour is brought to you by Andrew Sherritt Limited, your plumbing and heating wholesaler, a proud family-owned BC company, helping local business since 1892. Canucks and St. Louis Blues coming up. Puck drop at 5. We'll have pregame. Also, pregame on television, Sportsnet Pacific at 4.30. So lots to get into today, Sat. But did you get to enjoy this beautiful spring day before we started work this afternoon? Oh, I certainly did. A little oh, yeah. bit, at least. Not, not a ton. I did. I had a day off yesterday. Yesterday was lovely. Yeah. So I, I enjoyed the sunshine yesterday. It's a nice maintenance day for you after the big weekend of it work. Nice. It was also a, a lot of catching up on stuff you got to catch up on. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, it was. I went out to White Rock, too. It was beautiful. Oh, very nice. Yeah, it was nice. Uh, I got in my first rain session of the season today. Oh, did you? So I figured everything out. I'm that guy. You know, I go to the range and I figured it all out. You're good? Yep. Are you going to go back after the show to hit a few more? Uh, I'm breaking 90 uh, (laughs) by by the end of the summer, maybe, once. Oh, yeah? (laughs) Not like producer Ben, who's showing up to work every day in his golf shoes. It's kind of embarrassing. I don't know. It is an accident. Like, we know you're, like, basically a pro, but, like, do you have to show up every day in your golf gear? I had my first range session of the year today, too. (laughs) (laughs) Sure, Ben. We just came back from Torrey Pines. Uh, No biggie. Uh, but in any case, let's get to some hockey talk because uh, we've got nine games remaining and a lot interesting about the Vancouver Canucks right now, Sat, before they head out to the golf course a little bit later on this month um, or next month, I should say. So we've talked a lot about sustainability and you know how sustainable can all of this be with yes. Rick Tockett and these types of things. And I get it because last year had very similar vibes of the Canucks winning a bunch of meaningless hockey games towards the end of the year Hmm. and falling just short of the playoffs. In this market, that happening? Uh, Yeah. Winning games when you need to be losing them, losing them when you need to be winning them. All of those things. (laughs) Um, But we've seen Hughes and Patterson both take massive steps this year. And I think there is still another level each of them can get to. But if you're looking for secondary pieces to improve alongside the Canucks franchise cornerstones. Like who might you be thinking of on this roster that can take a big leap and have a bigger impact next season, man, like outside of Pedersen and Hughes, it's difficult to be like super confident about somebody, right? Mm -hmm. Like, Sure, there are guys that you're hopeful for. There are guys that you are cautiously optimistic for case in point, Andre Kuzmenko, but what is your level of confidence, like true confidence Yeah, that Kuzmenko is not only going to have a good season next year, but grow on what he's done this year, which is a spectacular first showing in the National Hockey League? So people aren't going to like me for saying this, Mm-mm. but somebody needs a little bit of realism in their life. <laughs> I, like, I have 0% confidence that Andre Kuzmenko will score as many goals next year as he did this year. Zero? Zero. Zero. Zero percent confidence. So, I mean... He's got the highest shooting percentage in the salary cap era. You, you, know, you know what Dan has is, has in his favor is he would be right for the second time fading a Russian winger. <laughs> right, because I faded Vasily Podkolzin when no one else would this year. 
<laughs> so so maybe maybe Dan is onto something. Maybe he's gonna bring us all back down to earth when it comes to Andre Kuzmenko. I mean, I don't know about zero confidence, but I, I totally understand where you're getting at. Like he may end up with forty goals by the end of the year. Yeah. And he To mi- say that he won't repeat that isn't exactly the hottest of takes. No, I mean, hey, he may shoot at a considerably lower percentage, but shoot the puck more and still end up only with like thirty one goals next year. Yeah. Which is still a very good season. And he might be a better, more impactful player but not score as many goals. So with the goal stuff, I'm with you. I don't have much confidence in that replicating because it's it's so hard, right? But I do believe in him as a player who works hard and has a true desire to be an impactful player in the National Hockey League. And because of that and because of the talent he's always flashed already this season, I feel pretty good about him. But I I don't have the same confidence I do in Pedersen and Hughes. Yeah. Like, I know next season, Pedersen's going to be better. I know next season, Quinn Hughes is going to be even better. There's one more player I think I believe in almost to that level, but mm. I'm not sure about Kuzmenko replicating. I mean, I want to see it. If Kuzmenko does this again next year, hey, I'll be a believer in terms yeah. of, like, I know year in and year out, this is what to expect. I just legitimately... I. I find it hard to see Kuzmenko matching this level of production next year. Now, he could come in, be in better shape, be better, more responsible two ways, have more confidence of the coach to play in different situations, close out games on the ice, you know, those types of things. But, you know, a player like him is always going to be judged on production. So just don't be overly... <laughs> you know, don't be overly upset next year when Andre Kuzmenko doesn't, you know, get close to 40 goals again. Like Marcus and Gibson's. If Kuzmenko had an Italian name, Richo would be betting the over on him for sure. <laughs> Maybe it is a simple Hey, I as love that. Kuzmenko. He's the only person in this market that pronounces Phil Giuseppe properly like I do. So <laughs> He doesn't do it purposely, but it's fantastic. You know, I- Mike and Willoughby, Dan, more spro, less grappa. There was no grappa today. No grappa. Just, just, just banging the spro. Yes. But you know what? Uh, I don't like so with Kuzmenko. We, we I think yeah, any rational person, yeah, agrees that he's been spectacular. You love his play, but for you to really know, it's going to take another year to know exactly what level he's going to be at, right? But one thing we do know with Kuzmenko, he is more than anything we expected. Like he's a surefire top six player. He's a surefire driver on the wing yep. and a playmaker and a creator and, and an impactful player. To what degree can he keep doing that? At it's an open question. Outside mm-hmm. of him, though, I think Thatcher Demko is a player we should start thinking of in the same breath as Pedersen and Hughes in terms of our expectations for them and how we expect them to keep growing. So in the way that here is a top talent at his position. Yeah, I mean, we can sit here and talk about, and I know you and Bick did a really good job of kind of outlining all the improvements the Canucks have made. Yesterday, yep. if you missed it, check it out on Canuck Central. And the numbers say one thing, but it's also reality that the improvements are there, but not to the degree where you sit and say, they figured it out. Like, this is the way to play hockey. They're ready. We're here. We've arrived. All we got to do is have a training camp. Yeah, You still have to do a lot more and get a lot better. But it's all Thatcher Demko in terms of why they're winning 10 of their last 12. Why they PK over the last 15 games, Dan, has been one of the best in the National Hockey League. Yeah how they've all of a sudden fixed the penalty kill. And 
fixed with quotation marks around yeah. the word. And we'll talk about the PK bit later on, too, because there is a lot of things to talk about. But what what did we see last year? Thatcher mm-hmm. Demko being great. What are we seeing this year when they're playing better? Thatcher Demko being great. So He's in order for the sin- Canucks to really bounce back, that's got to stay consistent. Not only that, but also the level of impact this guy can make. Like, we're talking about, hey, UC Soros is the only reason that that joke about Nashville teams even sniffing a playoff right, spot right, right now. Yep. Thatcher Demko with these guys, is he's healthy next season, and they play some semblance of decent hockey, and he takes a step, that's the most impactful thing you're going to see next year. Like, we can talk about Hughes and Patterson, and I think for sure, right? For good reason. They are massively impactful, superstar-level type talents. But the guy who can make the biggest difference for this team by getting even better, and I believe will get better given how he's come back and the, and the drive he's shown and the desire he's shown mm-hmm. and how impactful he's been, is Thatcher Demko. Does Demko have Vesna level in him? Yes. Does he have Russian goalie, <laughs> you know, uh, status in him? Vasilevsky, Sorokin, Shosturkin. Like, those are the three best goalies in the league. Probably Connor Hellebuck is next. We've seen it. He yeah. has he has that ability. We saw it last year. And UC Saros rounds out the top five. He, absolutely. And we saw Demko show this, of course, too in the bubble against the yeah. Vegas Golden Knights for, for those three, four games or whatever. But this is more about what he's showing during a season. And him coming back off, off an injury and playing at the level he's playing, and him now having the confidence of being able to overcome an injury right. and be able to play at the level he is able to play at, and the work he's put in to try to change certain things. And we've spoken to Woodley about this. We'll talk you know to him about it more uh, this week as well and get his thoughts on it. But I think if he reaches that other level of being healthy for you know all 82 games if he can play 60 games next year healthy mm-hmm. consistent yep. with a team that's that he can trust like what kind of zone can he get into if he can trust his teammates like he hasn't had that really not to say he doesn't trust his guys i'm not trying to make it seem like you know he's playing you know you know custer's last stand by himself <laughs> and he's you know taking trying to you know stand tall but by the sounds of it he is more impressed with what he's seeing in front of him right now than he's been at any other point in and, recent memory. And we all know goalies say when they can trust their teams, yep. how comfortable they feel. It goes both ways for the skaters and the goalie. But him having that for a full year, what can we see from Demko? So right now, um, and Bick and I went into more detail, but just a quick follow-up there on Sat's thought. The Canucks under Rick Tockett are allowing 11 high-danger chances per game on average, mm-hmm. which is the sixth best in the league. Okay, it's a pretty great number. Yeah. Uh, on average, the league uh, you know, teams are allowing 12 high danger chances per game this season. So the Canucks are now above the average. At no point last year with Boudreaux did they ever get above average in some of these metrics. And as we talked about with Kevin Woodley last year, they were still in the bottom third of the league when it came to cross lot chances and those yeah. types of different things that the Canucks have been, uh, well, it's been their signature move to give up those kinds of chances on a game-to-game basis. But Demko could have that next level in him, where if he gets there, it makes a real impact on the team. It has a move-the-needle type of impact on the team's performance. Massive. Yeah. Massive move-the-needle impact. I don't know if there's another player on this roster that has a ceiling where if they start to find it, it really impacts the bottom line of this team. You know, 
Hughes, Patterson, sure. Um, I'm sorry. I'm just I'm not I'm not in the space or in the frame of mind that I can think of Brock Besser getting there. You know, like I'm watching Yusei Kikuchi in spring training and he's got like a sub one ERA. And I'm like, great. I still know you're going to walk the first three batters you face in your first game you start this spring. Brock could score 10 goals over these final nine games. I'm still going to be skeptical going into next season. You're not scarred or anything. No, not at all. <laughs> like when Brock said, this is the year he scores 30. And then I, I was like, really on board. <laughs> And then it didn't happen. Yeah. And then what happened? And you know what? Like, I, hey, I thought Brock was going to have a big year, too. He got injured before. The year, yeah. but, but, but there's always a yeah, but, right? Yeah, but, yeah, but. That's and, the thing. And how, how long can you live in that yeah, but world? Eventually, it becomes about that bottom line. And, hey, to his credit, he scored goals. And, you know, I, I, I was kind of criticizing him on Saturday, I think it was, talking about how he hasn't played as well as Garland, yet he's getting prime opportunities still over Garland and wondering, hey, how much of that is being showcased versus how he's earning it. Yeah. And since then, he's, you know, he's scored a couple goals and he's played a lot better. Hey, he's doing what he can. I get it. But I'm with you. Like, I don't have confidence that next year Brock Besser is going to come back and look like the Brock Besser that everybody fell in love with a few years ago. Um, Connor Garland, you know, I think mm. we've seen kind of what Connor Garland is. He's a middle six guy that can – you know, help you drive offense in the right direction a little bit, but it's still sort of a secondary piece. Can he improve his shot enough to play on the first power play unit? No. No. Is he playing your PK? No. I think he could play PK. He could. But I don't think he'll ever get that opportunity. Yeah, I'm not sure. Uh, so then that leaves me to, like, you know, guys like Oman, you know, sure, they can improve, but I don't think – like, there's an improvement there where it's a real needle mover. What about Podkolzin, Kraftsov, those guys? Maybe Podkolzin. He needs, like, I think Podkolzin's biggest issue, Dan, is just straight-up confidence mental game. It's himself. It's himself. It really is. I think that's become so evident this season. And maybe his biggest detriment in terms of roadblock, in terms of his development even earlier, must have been the confidence. You see it in him. Multiple coaches have talked about it now, too. Yeah, and it's and we've seen it even in earlier stages in the KHL. It was talked about his yeah. call. He gets down on himself. He, he, he's been his biggest enemy. He's got, That's the biggest thing he's going to have to overcome. And I'm not sure that's going to happen I don't know what the timeline is on that. Yeah. That's like that's a personal thing. Can you figure that out? Is that something you can overcome and and gain, or is that something you're never going to do? How long is is that just with age and maturity and confidence? Like when is that going to come together? Because that's the question. That's yeah. a hard thing to project. Being a perfectionist can be his greatest strength because you know he's going to keep working hard towards bettering himself. But it can also be his big big weakness. Well, perfection perfection can be the enemy of good because yes. like you're hey you you don't want to settle for just being good. I get it. But if you're just so focused on having everything right that you have no confidence yeah. to just get by, you're that not going to have trouble. an impact, you know? So the one player I, I kept coming back to is Anthony Beauvillier. Now, we've seen him put up a lot of points. We've seen the production there. But can he legitimately be a real piece that fits and becomes a staple on your top line or one of your top two lines in a you know we've seen a lot of these different types of players around the league but you know was it a Andre Palat comp is it a Zach Hyman comp like is there that kind of a player in Anthony Beauvillier and I think that's obviously at the Mm -hmm. higher end and that's probably too much 
of a range for him to get to, but... I like it, though. I like it in terms of where you're going with it. We've seen the production. Yeah. Can he put the rest of the pieces together with the production? Well, the argument would be he's never had this type of opportunity. Yes. And played with this caliber of player in a system that allows a bit more offensive freedom. And not to say that playing with Barzell, you don't have... But it's just been different. Even Barzell, you see how good he is, but there's also a certain... I'm not sure what Barzell truly is yet, which is weird, right? And, and yeah. maybe it's because of what they, the type of hockey they played in New York for yeah. so long. And we'll see how it changes when he does get healthier or whatever. He's so puck dominant, too, Yeah, Matt Barzell. Yeah, he really is. And Pedersen is as well. Pedersen really likes to f- get guys involved into the play a lot. You know, He likes connecting plays, and Bavillier does a good job of it. That's the argument, that he's never played with players like this. He does have a decent shot. He has great speed. He knows how to play off talented players. Hey, he can do the Mikheyev role, and you'll, you can open up Mikheyev to have him playing alongside JT Miller potentially, which all of a sudden you got those two guys going straight line. That's a yeah. pretty imposing duo, and just in terms of getting in on the forecheck and being impactful defensively on the wings, especially with, with what Mikheyev can bring. But I'd say, yeah, out of all the wingers that you're talking about, probably Bavillier. If I'm doing my confidence meter, yeah, the <laughs> the believe meter yeah, on Anthony uh, on Anthony Bovillier, uh, you can send in some texts who you think could have that level of an impact. You know, Ilya Mikheyev uh, almost gets forgotten about because of the injury, but he did play with essentially a torn ACL all season long, partially torn ACL all was, season and long. And he was still good. And he was still pretty good. So, is there more that he can give you, or is it just more of a consistency that is he's able to bring next season for the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, the coach might have a thought on this too. Mm. He's talked about this player a lot lately is affording this player more opportunity as we're about to see against the St. Louis blues, Dakota Joshua lined up at morning skate with Elias Pettersson and Andre Kuzmenko. He played there towards the end of the Chicago game when the Canucks turned that one around here is the coach on what he thinks Dakota Joshua can develop into. Well, I'll tell you what, I, when I got here, you know, I just knew something, you know, we, this organization needs big wall guys, and we don't really have a lot. And when I saw him, gave him a run's responsibility, um, big part of our PK. Now he's, a, he's becoming a finisher. He's, he's, he's getting some chances. He's finishing. I think Sky's, there's another level there, um, and we're lucky we have another year. And I told him if he plays a big a big man's game, give and go type of style, he'll pay the mortgage for you know, a bunch of a bunch of years here. You know he can do that. So, um, but you know, and, and Josh knows for me is consistency. If he can stay consistent, that's that's probably his next level. Is you know a couple of good games and not so much. Uh, now he's starting to string two, three, four games together, and I think that's a big key for him. There is Rick Tockett on Dakota Joshua. This team needs some big wall guys, and he can be that. <laughs> he can, and we've seen it, especially with his emergence under Rick Tockett. Yeah. He's become more efficient at that wall work because we talked about him earlier this season, and it is pretty incredible. Uh, one of our listeners, Chris, sent me a note on Twitter, and uh, he he was he he shared a DM we had earlier in the season. He asked me about Dakota Joshua, and it's like, yeah, it's like he's like he kind of, he's kind of struggling. We're like, hey, what are we seeing? It's like, yeah, we haven't really seen much yet. Yeah, and we've gone from hey, we're not quite sure what this guy is to all of a sudden, 
hey, can he score 20 goals? Can he be a wall guy long term? Can he become something, you know, at a higher level for this team? And it's pretty incredible to see how much he's improved. But it was even evident when he was scoring earlier on and kind of gaining his confidence that the work around the wall still needed improvement, that he wasn't quite utilizing his size as well as he probably should and can, given, you know, his frame and his speed and, and his willingness, really. Like, yeah. he's not a soft hockey player, right? So it comes down to technique, really, and just, you know, the type of mindset you need to have and consistency. And he's really starting to put those things together. And the way he's able to really hold the puck along the walls recently yeah. and bring other guys in, because if you beat one or two guys along the wall, what that does is open up space all over the ice for you. Yeah. You know, like that means you got to draw somebody else over into your space to try to stop you. And he's a good enough passer that he can dish to an open guy. And his finishing ability, I think, has been very impressive. Like he's going to get a breakaway. He's going to score at a decent amount of time. You get him a grade A scoring chance, there's a decent chance that puck is going in. And that's why, yeah, if he does what he's doing right now consistently all year next year, there's no reason why he shouldn't be a 15 to 20 goal guy. Um, right now, Dakota Joshua, uh, 18% with his shooting percentage. Looks, you know, like the finishing talent is there, right? Like he can pick his spots. He knows where the holes are going to open up. And we've seen him be able to do that when they create some of these odd man chances. One of the things I like as they've turned the PK around a little bit here, Oman and Joshua have been bigger mm -hmm. parts of it. So they've needed guys from further down the lineup to be able to play those roles and Joshua has stepped up and really grown into that lately but every time he's gotten an opportunity to play up the lineup this year he hasn't made he hasn't made a lot of that opportunity so can he be a guy that truly meshes well with great players that's something I still need Dakota Joshua to prove to me yeah and I don't know if he can truly to play at that level. Like, yeah. I'm not sure. T to be honest, I'm not sure. And I don't know if I would want, I I'm not sure if I want to even expect that from him. Mm -hmm. You know, like, I think this is a great, you know, feather in his cap. He's getting this chance now. It shows, I think, the, the carrot being dangled in front of him with, yeah. like, this is your ultimate upside. Yes. Like, if you put it all together, this is where you could be. Like, you could play with these guys. This is a stratosphere you might be able to, you know, breathe in. Like, you might be able to live here if you really put it all together. But is he going to get there? And, hey, you said you had zero confidence in Andre Kuzmenko. <laughs> so if you have zero confidence in Andre Kuzmenko replicating his goal scoring, oh. I don't know if I'm going to have you know a, a high degree of confidence that Dakota Joshua is going to be the next Andre Kuzmenko playing alongside those guys. And, and I okay. jest, I jest, I yes. jest. But I'd say if everything goes right, he can be your third line guy. You know, yeah. like I think that's that's if everything goes right. And you mentioned his shooting percentage. And that's why if you're a 20 goal guy, that means some years you might score 15. Some yeah. years you might score 25. It depends on your kind of shooting percentage. And you're, what you're go not going to do is score in about 60 some games. Right. <laughs> that, that's kind of what happens. So that's how are you going to so impact the game? The wall work, right? The consistency. So what I want to see from Dakota Joshua is focusing it on being that guy. And if you can bang in anywhere from 15 to 20 goals on the third line doing that. Yeah. It's gravy. Well, the Canucks, um, you know, I think they've got enough forwards that they can truly rely on. You know, I think they found a duo with Pedersen and Kuzmenko. They're still looking for a true duo with JT Miller. Maybe it's Phil DiGiuseppe. I don't know. Um, I'm surprised nobody asked me why I haven't said Phil DiGiuseppe in this conversation yet. But you you resisted it so far, so I don't want to make you do it. I digress. You um, mentioned DiGiuseppe the, a bit earlier. <laughs> the point of it is... Like, I think the Canucks need to find their Zach Hyman, Michael Bunting type 
you know, a cheap guy that ends up fitting really well into your top six as a third guy on a line. Just don't whine as much as Bunting does. Yes, please don't. That's uh, that's not preferred. Coming up, Frank Saravalli joins us on Canuck Central. Canuck Central in the Kintec studio. This hour is brought to you by Andrew Sherritt Limited, your plumbing and heating wholesaler, a proud family-owned BC company, helping local business since 1892. Look, I, I know everybody's getting mad at me on the Dunbar Lumber text line and already on Twitter because the video's up of me fading Andre Kuzmenko. But to put it into context for you, his shooting percentage and how wild it is at over 26% right now, if you were to cut his shooting percentage in half... Okay, so now it's 13%. It's still above league average, but he's got 17 goals instead of 35. Yes. So the power of shooting percentage. Anyways. Yes, because he's he's a good shooter, and he gets into soft areas. (laughs) Okay, I'm just saying he's not going to shoot 26% next year. My favorite reply on the tweets was from (laughs) Alex on Twitter. Okay, man. (laughs) (laughs) I I might have... uh, I might have Andre Kuzmenko as a power pick today. We'll see. Uh, coming up, uh, we'll get into the pregame for the Canucks and St. Louis Blues. Let's bring in our next guest. He joins us weekly here on Canucks Central. It is Frank Saravalli of the Daily Faceoff. What's happening, Frank? Not too much, guys. How you doing? Uh, we're uh, we're doing pretty well. Getting ready for uh, the biggest game of the season for the Canucks and St. Louis Blues. It's a real uh, real big battle for ninth best lottery odds. Well, <laughs> you know what? It's you make the joke, but. Another win by the Canucks. They're what, like three points away from having a zero percent shot at Connor Bedard? Like that, it actually means something now. Yeah, it's pretty dicey now. Yeah, <laughs> that's tough. Like well, it's tough. I, I I guess I understand people that are saying, "Oh, well, who cares about three percent?" You could say that if the New York Rangers didn't win Alexi Lafreniere with two and a half. Well, I mean, that's the thing. I mean, people people say that, right? And it's like, do you still buy a lottery ticket every once in a while? <laughs> do you play a 50-50 when you go to a game? Of course yeah. you do. And it's less than a 2% chance, less than a 3% chance of that happening. So you want to give yourself a, a chance of doing so. But it, I just don't know, like... like what else to say though you know frank that's like we've we said all the things we need to say in terms of management tanks not the players yet you kind of wonder like is there something that can happen to slow this down and not continue winning at this pace well yeah management does tank but management also put into place this coach which has helped turn things around Mm -hmm. and it's great to to see the structure, to use some Jim Rutherford buzzwords from beginning <laughs> the beginning of the season, to have some structure and and certainly some inspired play from a number of guys that have been in the lineup under Rick Tockett. And I don't think there's any question that Rick Tockett has done a great job um, in terms of uh, changing the mood around the team, changing the energy, and getting more out of them. However, that comes at a price. And it's a real price because here's the thing. Number one, these more these victories, which don't really count for anything in the standings, are just they're not even moral victories because there's we've seen enough evidence to know that there's next to no carryover to next season. And more to the point, number two, uh, how many players from this roster are going to be changed out in the summer? A quarter? Yeah probably at least 
There's so a, there's a good amount. Yeah, so you're going to have to start over anyway next year. So this I, I think it's a real issue in the sense that it's don't and don't just focus on Connor Bedard because it's also going to impact your odds for getting in line for the second, third and fourth picks or second and third picks I should say because Adam Fantilli and company are special players. Yeah, he'd be a first overall pick in a lot of drafts, uh, if not for Connor Bedard this year. It's uh, it's tough, and Canucks fans are uh, tired of seeing this. I, I know I don't necessarily need to tell you that, but um, you know a lot of these games, whether it's uh, the the new coach bump, I've called it the the Demko bump more than the Tockett bump because yeah. all of a sudden Thatcher's come in and he's playing like Vesna Thatcher Demko again. It's um, but which is also important. Like that was a big question mark in his health specifically around this team for a long time. But still, it's a confluence of events, right? That is leading to a problematic and precarious position in the standings. But the problem, like you have a coach trying to set in a new culture and all these different types of buzzwords, and you know, Tockett's you know talked about process too, but. Now he's, you know, riding Quinn Hughes almost 30 minutes a night. And Philip Aronik has played over 25 minutes basically every game he's played as a Vancouver Canuck so far. Pedersen's playing a bunch of time. And Demko's started pretty much every game outside of the back-to-backs since he's returned from injury. I mean, when, when you have a coach riding his, his horses like this at this point of the season, you know, you're, you're, gonna, you're bound to win a few games, especially when you're going up a lot of teams that have already essentially given up on the season, like the Blackhawks and the others. It's, it is, it's, it, well, cause then it puts Rick Tockett in a precarious position, right? Like yeah. he's not gonna be changing his MO and changing what he does to then get a better draft position. And the players, we've talked about this a million times, the players don't care. Yeah. For the most part. But if your management, like it's not just in Vancouver, it's in Arizona, it's in Philadelphia, it's wherever you look, teams that have exceeded expectations over the last month, everyone's wincing because this is not a normal draft year. No, it's not. And I mean, I think part of what you're seeing this year with a lot of teams like the Red Wings too was if we don't think we're a playoff team, we're just going to fold it in. We saw a lot of teams kind of, put their pit chips towards the draft as opposed to, as opposed to towards the last playoff position, which I think tells you a lot about how people feel about this year's draft. Like when you hear other organizations, how are they viewing it? Are they viewing it as like you mentioned, like this is a draft. You can't miss an opportunity to get a top three pick. If you're a bubble team. That's the way so many teams that I talk to view it. Um, I mean, this was a text I'm I'm just scrolling in my conversation. This was a text from an NHL GM today about the Canucks. The late year surge, dot, dot, dot. Someone always gets fooled. Yeah. And that's essentially what it comes down to is you're not playing for anything. The pressure's off. Most of the other teams that you're playing for, playing against aren't playing for anything. Um, it, It creates an environment that isn't the true, you know, competitive aspect of the NHL that I think you know, you get lulled into thinking also too how this might shape the summer and how the Canucks view what they have because this is kind of the same situation that they backed themselves into last year after 54 games of Bruce Boudreaux. Well, I, 
I wonder, you know, uh, we haven't spoken to management recently, at least not on the record. And I wonder their thoughts on on this, because they, they didn't believe in the, the Boudreaux bump that la- that they got last year. I would imagine they believe in this a little bit more. They have played better defensively. That is, you know, fact, not necessarily opinion. It's just how much stock do you really put into it at this time of year? And I, I still think there's a big element, and we talked about this on when we spoke to you on Friday, Frank. Like, there's a big element of they still realize they they still need a bunch of changes on this roster. So how much are they putting into this late season surge when I think they still realize they need to make some improvements on this roster still? Well, improvements are a given. Like yeah. that's that everyone knows that. The thing is. Um, I think what it does is sort of reinforces the notion, if not necessarily to management, then maybe to ownership where this, you know, sort of agenda is usually driven from. And and you can think about uh, or just go back over the last sort of 10 years to know that it, it spans across multiple um, front office regimes to know that that's really where it's coming from in, ter- in terms of the uh, posture and position of the way the franchise operates is it it, it allows you to get in, into the the line of thinking or to convince yourself that this team is closer than it might be and and frankly changes have to come because like let's say you know I, I'd assume that the Canucks would like to re-sign Dermot and Bear well like you're actually technically at this exact moment in time over next year's salary cap. Mm-hmm. So changes just have to come logically from that perspective alone that it, there's been so much talk about creating salary cap flexibility. And really, even in trading Bo Horvat, the Canucks have, have not cr- created any. They've actually furthered their issue and backed themselves into a corner that way that it might be even more difficult heading into the summer than it would have been at the trade deadline to trade one of the pieces away that they'd like to in order to get to where they want to get to. Well, the one thing I think is clear that Tanner Pearson and Pullman may be on LTIR next season, but that's also temporary, and we'll see how long that lasts, especially uh, depending on what happens throughout the offseason and what happens next year. And right now it seems like they don't want to buy out Oliver ekman Larson. And when I look at Oliver ekman Larson, mm-hmm. if you don't buy him out – then you're right. You have to look at trades to create that cap space. But if you don't buy out OEL, is there any option at all? Like, Could there be a trade in terms of you're still taking money back, but are there problem contracts that other teams might look at and, and try to swap? And could you get OEL to waive in that sense? Like, Is that even a possibility or is it simply Vancouver or 100% buyout? Uh, that's the way I've heard it propositioned to me. I don't know that it's... Um... I don't know when push comes to shove this summer, what that looks like or what that conversation is like. I think you're right in that the Canucks are, I think pretty resistant to the idea of a buyout paying a player $20 million to play for someone else next season is a really difficult thing for owners to convince themselves is the smart play. Um, I still think that, the conversation center around and I, the, the conversation changes a lot with Tyler Myers. I think once that signing bonus is paid and it, it, it has to, it has to heat up a bit on Brock Besser. Does it not like as you know, everyone's looking for Brock to, you know, to get in that 25 to 30 goal range again, 
he's still he's going to be knocking on the door probably when the season's over of 60 points like he's not all that far off from the salary that he should be paid so can you find a taker somewhere and can you find some real value in return i just don't think the idea of going out and getting another problematic contract basically that when you say that and i'd have to really look through the list um but when you say that it, it, what it speaks to me is like just another reboot of mm-hmm. the OEL trade itself, maybe not on the same magnitude and scale, but you've got to ride this out at some point you need to, um, you can't keep kicking the can down the road and taking on someone else's issues just to try and alleviate some of your own. You end up getting nowhere. Well, it is, it is essentially throwing good money after bad, because if you're taking a contract on, you're probably taking on a contract that's not good and also has more money and term left on it. Like case in point, for instance, the Canucks are playing the Blues. Colton Pareko, right? He has a massive contract. He's struggled. He's what he's owed $52 million over the next seven, or I guess take eight, six million off. So 46 yeah, like million, 44 million, bucks 45 million or whatever. Yeah. For, between now. Like, who says no? OEL for Pareko, Vancouver, or St. Louis. Like, if I'm Vancouver, I'm not touching a 30-year-old guy who's owed $46 million, even yeah. though he's a righty defenseman. And if you're St. Louis, are you rather holding on to that guy or taking a guy like OEL who struggles and gets paid slightly less money for fewer years, for instance? Like, those are the propositions you'd be looking at, isn't it? Sort of. Um, like, I'll give you another example. Um, like, who says no... Um, Tyler Myers for Kevin LeBanc. That's an like, interesting those one. are the types of conversations you're getting yourself into yeah. in terms of taking on someone else's, you know, sort of, you know, problem that they're trying to rid themselves of. I, it, it doesn't like, if you were to present that to me in it, for the Canucks perspective, I'd say like, why, like, why would I do that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a slightly lower cap hit for, Kevin LeBanc, but at the end of the day, the more valuable asset next year at the trade deadline is going to be Tyler Myers all day long and probably is right off the hop when you pay the signing bonus in July or whenever it's due. Yeah, he uh, he could have real trade value as soon as that signing bonus is paid, don't you think? Yeah, what, what ends up happening, and I'll give you a perfect example. Well, I'm going to say imperfect example because he didn't end up getting moved, but remember the asking price last summer from the Flyers – teams were saying we'll take James Van Riemsdyk off your hands but give us a first round pick because he had one more year left at seven million bucks and he went from that to a trade chip at the deadline because it's an expiring contract like those things are always in play they're always valuable Frank Saravalli our guest uh so last week you know we we uh talked about JT Miller and uh the Canucks um potentially looking at the trade market with that player again this offseason. But you mentioned that they really want to add an under-25 centerman if they were to go down that type of road. And so I went down the rabbit hole of thinking, okay, what type of you know, under-25 centerman uh, that could have top-six potential or already top-six players could Look at be this. available. I'm living rent free in Dan's head. You are. I mean that that I was just getting notifications all weekend about it. Like, why are they trading JT Miller again? Anyways, um, but like the only two names I could really come come up with were, and basically because of their respective contract situations, Sebastian Ajo, who's a year out from UFA after this season, and uh, Pierre Luc Dubois, who we all seem to be you know penciling into the Montreal Canadian squad at some point in the future. 
Yeah, it was interesting. After we wrapped up that chat, I actually texted Sat and I said one of the guys that I was thinking of that sort of makes a lot of sense from that perspective is Jesperi Kotkaniemi in Carolina. A bit younger, 22 years old, signed and has ca- contract and cost certainty at 4.8 for the next uh, seven years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And here's the thing, though, like, Kotkaniemi has played, he'd be obviously a significant step back in terms of the current um, production level from what JT Miller has at, and especially, you know, uh, the sort of rejuvenation under Rick Tockett. But that's sort of like the type of of, uh, contract and player that I had in mind when I was thinking about it. Like Sebastian Ajo, I think, is such an impact piece and impact player. Like why? Mm -hmm. Okay, so you get a couple years younger, but why would the Canucks then ultimately be in a spot where they have to then pay Sebastian Ajo? Like that doesn't make any sense either to me. You might as well just keep JT Miller, who's going to cost less than Ajo. Well, I mean, unless you really believe in in Ajo as as a player, right, and me being a little bit younger. But my question with Ajo too, and but but, but if you're if you're the Canes, for instance, Sat, like, why would you like you Ajo is younger and fits your team and has been with your team forever? Why would like what sense would Miller make for you? Oh, no, no doubt. My only question with Ajo is. He signed the offer sheet with Montreal before. He's a UFA next season. Like, is there any way where he looks at it and maybe doesn't want to stay there long term? Is, is is that a possibility that this summer the Canes maybe looked at a maybe in a position where he might be available? I don't think so. The only reason that it it even lingers out there, I think, is because the Flames have or sorry, the Canes have such a hesitation to pay true market value that typically they move off of those players, but. With the number of fins that are there, the fit, how competitive that team has been, I think he really likes it, and he's he's a lower case superstar for me. Like I don't think he gets anywhere near the love that he should, and part of it's because he plays in Carolina. Part of it's because he doesn't have any sort of gaudy, eye popping number. But when you think about the different ways that he impacts that your team and the game playing in all situations, like. I think he's a $10 million player AAV all day long. And some people might look at his point totals and say, are, are you insane? Yeah. But that's the impact that he has. I, uh, I guess I just always I'm, – I'm always going to think of the Canes as like the Tampa Bay Rays of the, uh, of the NHL, where as soon as a guy's up for a big contract, they trade him away. <laughs> Unless fair, but unfair. Yeah, it's fair, fair, and also unfair. Um, I know you did that interview with uh, Tom Dundon a while ago, but um, uh, I love him. Like, it, I, honestly, like. I don't know him at all aside from doing the pod, and I just love the way that he thinks about his team. Fascinating. Uh, we'll uh, we'll check that out. Uh, Frank, we always appreciate the time. we got to run. All right. Thank you, guys. See ya. Uh, there is Frank Saravalli joining us here on, uh, on Canuck Central. Always some good insight on uh, what the chatter is around oh. the league oh, yeah. and um, – what the chatter is around the Vancouver Canucks. Yeah, uh, always gets people going too. Uh, yeah, what what Frank has to say, and you know, it was interesting him mentioning uh, the uh, a text message from uh, a an executive GM saying, "Hey, somebody always gets fooled late in the season," and I know that's the topic a lot of fans are grappling with right now. Is this something we're being fooled by? Is there any comfort in these wins, or is it just 
a bunch of nothing that we're being fooled by, and next year we're back to the same thing. Plus, we missed out a chance to draft Connor Bedard, which is a nightmare scenario, right? Like where you kind of tell yourself it's okay, but it's not. <laughs> but yeah, you've risen from like what sixth in the draft lottery odds to tenth now. I mean, honestly, it's. I mean, they've won ten out of twelve. Yeah, like I, I don't know how they've won and done it, right? I mean, it's Thatcher Demko we we mentioned, so it is what it is to some degree, but. I, I see people texting in, too. It's like uh, Vic in the Rage. Pick a lane. You you whine when they win. You whine when they lose. It's not even about whining. It's more about, hey, you're not making the playoffs. It's the and I'm not saying lose. I'm, yeah. I'm not, and, hey, I've been big on, hey, you can't tell guys to lose, and you can only judge the games they're playing, and it is what it is. I mean, it's just life. Right? What are yeah. you going to do? But it would suck if you have zero chance of maybe landing the first pick. And if you do get to a point where you don't even have a chance to land one of the top two or three picks, not to say it's the end of the world, but you'd like to have a chance at it, you know, like that, that's all you want. And ultimately it does, it, it looks like that may not be in the cards if the Canucks keep going this way. I mean, I joke with Bick the other night, uh, they're 10 points back of, of the Winnipeg Jets. I mean, if they win out, maybe they fin- maybe somehow they make the playoffs. <laughs> that, that might be better. That might be better at least if they somehow pull off, you know, the Oakland A's magical no, run. No, <laughs> 91 points does not get you into the uh, into the Stanley Cup playoffs. I'm sorry, it doesn't. It doesn't do it. Uh, yeah. But it, it is, you know, it's. Well, I mean, had you made the coaching change, like that's going to be the question. If they get so close and they're out of the, but they didn't really start turning around results until Demko returned. Uh, no, for sure. But you start and they would have won in. a lot of these games, like. But they still win really, some of these games with Boudreaux, too. They would, but also, but Dan, they were playing really bad hockey. Let's <laughs> come on, let's not forget how bad it was. Yeah, it was, it was really bad. Like we sat here and we, we talked about line changes for goodness yes. sakes. Um, they, a lot of the players could see the writing on the wall. Canuck Central, Dan Riccio, Satyar Shah. The pregame is coming up here on the Sportsnet Radio Network.